Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's conversation on the women who run BBDO is with Leanne Sinclair. Leanne's been in advertising for nearly 20 years and most of that time with BBDO. In fact, she's been at three different BBDO offices. So she's really getting her, uh, her, her, office passport stamped. She's been in Atlanta and New York where she worked on a lot of the most famous AT&T campaigns that we've done over the past decade. And now she's the managing director at Energy BBDO in Chicago, where she oversees all of uh, the, the client relationships. She's also well known as the person who leads the Mars Wrigley business and the Give Extra, Get Extra campaign, which uh, many people remember Sarah and Juan as the kind of viral sensation that that swept the world, and uh, and Leandro of a lot of that work. So she's really got an incredible sense for great creative work, and um, how to lead clients strategically. She's passionate about women in advertising and is part of groups like Omni Women. And she's been on Harper's Bazaar's 25 Most Wanted Network of Women. So I'm very excited to share this conversation with my old dear friend, Leanne Sinclair. I do want to start by just talking about your recent promotion, which is very exciting, to Managing Director of Energy BBDO, and wanted to just start with, you know, what does that mean to you? Both kind of emotionally, you know, what does it mean? That's a big role. And, but also literally, what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, How's your life changed? How's your day to day? Well, it's tough to say because look, it, it happened in 2020. So, you know, but, um, but thank you. Obviously it's something that I um, was, was hoping for and striving for. And um, I think as I think about the role, because you're right, it's very recent. Um, but as I think about the role and, and obviously did so for some time before going to the managing director path, right, because I could have stayed in a path of, you know, continuing to lead businesses. Um, and obviously, I'll still be very involved, but I, I really loved the idea of what I believe I've always really been focused on, which is, you know, pushing clients for for great work and pushing internally for great work. And I think that I got excited about the idea of being able to do that, but in a different capacity and just starting to to take it to a level of, well, what does this mean in terms of resources and talent and capabilities and, um, and, and how might we think about different models and different types of people and, and, and ways in which we can bring the organization together to push for great work um, and identifying sort of where the outages are, where the opportunities are. And it just felt exciting for me to kind of take it from, you know, a, a slightly more, 
I wouldn't call it one dimensional because businesses obviously have huge amount of dimension to them. But for me, I got excited about the idea of taking it to an office wide sort of individual um, uh, wide, if you will, people kind of way in which I can mm -hmm. make a difference and hopefully um, continue energy BBDO's journey to being best in class creative. Yeah, that's great. So I, um, I want to circle back on one one point yeah. you made there because this might this is something that especially for people who are earlier on in their career they may you know they're trying to think of like well what are the paths yeah and you just you just quickly touched on you know this path as okay yeah. sort of leading an office yeah um, the other path that you glanced over a little bit was was the idea of running big accounts globally and that's also you know we've had. And Dooley on, on this program, for example, mm -hmm. um, and Susanna Keller yeah. are people who have, so what, you know, what are the things that for you delineate mm -hmm. one versus the other? Not better or worse, but just like they're different choices for different skill sets. That's right. Well, I think actually I went down all kinds of rabbit holes really working through this, you know, and, um, and Anne Dooley and Suzanne are great examples. You know, I, I sat with them both, picked their brain about, you know, what it meant to them, why they made the decisions they did, um, and did the same, you know, for the likes of Jeff Adkins, um, and just trying to understand, you know, what is the right fit for me? Um, and I, and, and Kirsten as well, I came to the conclusion that, they're not mutually exclusive and choosing one path does not mean you leave another one behind and in fact they both are so synonymous like they're so synonymous with success of whether it be the office or whether it be the network you know ultimately having experience in one or another is important to just the success of us all. So it, it was one of those moments, Jim, where I thought to myself, you know, I think it's really, I think it's really about what's right for me now, you know, and it doesn't mean it will forever be my path, you know, right. um, it doesn't mean that I've now chosen this path that then I go into the CEO path, or it doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be so prescriptive, like sometimes it is in the corporate world. So mm -hmm. it was really about just gaining the experience, understanding what it takes to, to lead an office and um, lead people. And so I think that, you know, this is right for me now. And, you know, who knows where my journey will go next. Love it. Um, well, okay, so now let's go back to the very beginning. Okay. And I want to give people just sort of a grounding in how you started in business. You got into advertising right out of school. So just a little bit about sort of that choice. I mean, there's infinite possibilities when you're coming out of college. You know, what was that choice for you? And, and then how did it, you know, kind of, um, how did it prove itself out as the right path for you? What were the things that you fell in love with? So thank you for letting me tell this story because um, I, I don't feel like I've told this to many, but um, I always knew, like maybe at eight years old, I always knew I wanted to be in advertising. Really? And I don't think many people, like you just hear so many stories of I fell into it and, you know, or so-and-so's friend knew so-and-so, whatever. But I knew from a very early age that this was something that was like for me. 
And it's my, my parents are, you know, my mother is Scottish and my dad is English. And so, you know, some, I might have a Southern accent, but our summers were in Europe and we spent, so, you know, I spent so much time obviously watching the telly and <laughs> I just, I just felt like the creative work that one would see in adverts at the time um, on the telly was so different than what you would see in America. Like we just, it was, it was like, hack, you know, hacking products in America, but there, there was just these beautiful narratives and stories and it was emotional and it was creative. And I just started to think to myself, like, that is, I want to do that. I, I want, because I saw how it could shape people um, in different ways and it could shape um, how it could shape culture and it can um, do so much more than just sell a product. So right. I got pretty, pretty early on, I was excited about it. And um, so I, I had a North Star and I went to school for it. Um, so I went to the University of Georgia um, journalism school and I worked hard to do that and get a scholarship for it. And um, so I knew what I wanted to do. And uh, interestingly enough, my very first internship was at BBDO Atlanta. And I can tell you that when I walked in those doors, <laughs> I was in the waiting room and like the ad week and the ad ages were on the coffee table. And, you know, I just remember, of course, like the M&M's characters were on the cover, you know, right. and I just remember being like, oh, my gosh, like I am here, you know, this is yeah. where it all happens. And um, I just like it was a promise to myself, like I am going to get this job. And uh, anyways, I did. And of course, my journey went on to many other different places, but it was it's kind of poetic that it started at BBDO. So this is this is college like junior year or something like that. Yes, for your internship? exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Great. OK. And then how did you find your way back to BBDO? Um, so I felt uh, at the time. So so that was just an internship. Out of school, I did. Um, I went to a boutique creative shop in Atlanta. Um, that was where my family was. That was where we lived. And, you know, it didn't take me long to realize, like, I just, I think if I want to do this dance the way the greatest, you know, have done this dance, um, it's time for me to, you know, spread my wings and fly. So um, I just was fanatical about who is doing some of the best work in the business. And it was, and I just, I opened the aperture to the globe. You know, I was, I, I had, you know, interviews at Fallon London and I was, yep. you know, trying to, and, and anyways, I, I took the very first job that was given to me out of Atlanta and it was at the Martin agency in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I just thought like, once again, what a dream that at the time they were, you know, kicking ass and taking names and Geico and Quiznos subs. Do you remember that crazy campaign yeah, and, sure. um, and Virginia's for lovers? And I just thought, you know, this is, this is so cool. Let me go learn more. And so anyways, I packed up my bags and drove to Richmond, Virginia, didn't know a soul and, um, and worked there. And from there um, is actually my very first interaction with Kirsten Flanick. So I spent a few years at the Martin agency um, and I knew I wanted to grow even bigger than that, you know. Um, 
And I saw that BBH had just won the British Airways account. And um, I, I just was crazy and went for it and was like, this is my opportunity to get to New York and work at a world, world-class agency, global. What did you do? Did you reach out to, to so, just yes, to the agency so blindly I or had, what? I had reached out. Oh yeah, I was always like, just like, I don't take no for an answer, you know? And um, I remember I had an interview. I, they, they reached out to me. I had an interview scheduled with Kirsten Flanick and um, and that was my first introduction to her. And anyways, she hired me and uh, and it was back before, you know, there was a Facebook or Instagram or anything. So she just like we just had one conversation over the telephone. And, um, you know, I think we had chemistry and I think we shared in, in passion for for great work. And um, and that was it. And, I, right. and maybe because I've listened to her podcast, maybe <laughs> she there was there was a similar, you know, small town girl wants to make it big in advertising. So anyway, she gave me an opportunity and um, I'm forever grateful for it. So move to New York. Well, Kirsten is a great, uh, a great spotter of talent, obviously. So so then, yes, that was a quite some time ago and I worked with her at BBH. And then um, from there, uh, you know, really, looked to, to her, you know, she moved on to BBDO and, and, uh, and I could see, I could see why. And ultimately I did the same. So um, I've been privileged enough to work in New York, Atlanta, and, and now Chicago. Yeah. You've had, you've had the BBDO pins from the different locations or the, I don't know what we get. Do you get like passport stamps or something for being in different offices? There's an idea. <laughs> Although well, I, I haven't had, I haven't needed my passport yet. Right, right, right. Um, well, there, there's so much in your story of of getting started that I identify with. I was like the kid who memorized jingles and you know ad ads. I knew I knew ads by heart, like all the dialogue, and it was just a director. weird obsession. <laughs> I knew the directors. I'd look it all up, and you know, I was reading CA. Like it was weird yeah an obsession it's a strange obsession yeah yeah it's i mean well that actually brings us to a to an interesting question because i'm sure you've been in interviews like i have where you start out an interview and you say to someone so tell me about your favorite campaign or your favorite work and they struggle to answer that question to me it's like okay this interview is kind of over like if you don't have a passion for this business i don't know why you're here so for you what are the things what, what do you think are the critical traits that you have to have to be successful in this business? Because there are lots of smart people. There's lots of smart, you know, young folks coming out of college and everything. But what are the things that make you successful in this business? Well, so I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think I'm actually a really tough interviewer because if you're not coming in with passion for the work, I, I sort of feel like you're dead on arrival with me. So I just think the industry can sometimes just be too hard. I mean, unless you just love building ideas and creativity, you know, if that's just where, if that's not where your passion lies, I just, I don't know um, that it's going to be a good fit. Um, I, I will say recently, um, and adaptability would probably be my next one, next trait. And I will say recently, I'm even sort of shining that light on myself because I do think that our ability to 
to change and to um, and to uh, open our aperture to new capabilities and new ways of thinking and new models. I'm, I'm shining it on myself to say, does the person walking in the door have to have that, that same level of sort of creativity and passion and knowledge that I had? Like their journey can absolutely be different than mine and that's okay. Um, and so I'm sort of working on myself there in terms of how do I adapt, you know, to what new capabilities look like and how they can feed into the creative process. Um, that's such then, a great, that's such a great insight. I have to tell you because it, we've talked a lot about that as well, that, that it's, it, it was an old shorthand, right. Yeah. That you would just, you would, you would ask, you'd, you were able to ask that question and, and when you get into a conversation about a campaign that whether you love it or not, you can respect the answer and the thought that went into it. But if someone's coming from some complete, you know, someone who's a TikTok creator and you're thinking like, well, maybe they, maybe we need that. Maybe we need somebody who's like dialed in on this completely new format of a, a way to create things. And you ask them for a campaign, maybe they go, I don't know, one ad campaign. Right. I don't know, but they doesn't mean, it doesn't mean they couldn't help us build our ideas right. to greatness. And so I'm trying really hard to think about um, what that, when we talk about passion for creativity, well, that might just show up in a lot of different forms. Um, right. But there is one trait that I do also think, and this is, this would be my last one, but I think that people that I speak to, well, of course, you always want to have chemistry, but I, I think they need to be just as interested in people as they are in creative ideas mm-hmm. because we're such a people business. And I feel like whether that be what the like the, to identify with a consumer or understand consumers better or whether that be that you are a kind of person that people are buying into, you know, it's just that we're a relationships business, we're a people business. And I just think that those who don't love people in the way that we want to build relationships and we think is critical to driving work, it it sort of never really fits. Right, right. Yeah, and that can probably take a lot of different shapes or forms, right? I mean, it's, I think it's the, the, the insight that you're talking about with creative, it's similar with people. Like just because someone's not extroverted doesn't mean they're not fascinated by people. As an example, people might be more reserved in their demeanor, but they might have incredible insights because they're kind of watching. Because you know? they're, yeah, because that they're interested in it or they're watching or that's building off of, you know, data that they, yeah, exactly. So I, it, yeah. it does come in many forms, but I think that people you know are at the center of what we do yeah do you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert uh jim you know the answer to that i'm an extrovert through and through yeah yeah i would i would i remember um a fateful bus ride that you and i had to some dinner (laughs) in some foreign country i can't remember where but it was a it was a very it was a much longer bus ride than it was billed as that i remember and it was the first time i met you and I remember we had the greatest conversation. It was like a, an hour long ride where you could sit next to someone who you don't have anything in common with. And uh, 
Do you well, remember where we were? I, I remember this um, vividly. We were in Portugal and the bus ride was not only a bus ride, it was a winding down a hill all the way to the town of Lisbon. <laughs> Yes. There we were. And the reason why I remember it so vividly is because I was pregnant at the time and nobody mm. knew I was pregnant at the time. And there we were on the bus and I'm like, how am I going to, how am I going to get, just get to dinner without throwing up? <laughs> <laughs> and I will forever be grateful that our conversation was as lovely as it was because <laughs> it's the only thing that got me through it. <laughs> it was a distraction. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Uh, um, well, I, I ask only because, I mean, I assumed, I assumed you would say that, but only because I know you. Um, but, um, I, I've been conscious in, in the interview process, as you were talking about, like, you know, finding, finding commonalities in other places and, and your insight about like, people can be passionate about creative, but not necessarily no advertising. It's similar with the introvert extrovert thing. If you are an extrovert, you kind of want people to come in with like bouncing off the walls energy. And when they're not, you feel like you have to, you have to like dig a little bit. And so you have to learn that skill, don't you? You kind of have to develop an ability to like go, okay, this person's a little more introspective, but that's a good thing. They might balance out our team. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, diversity really fuels creativity. And so I think that, you know, being an energy BBDO, which is another, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, you've got the energy BBDO. Yeah, and 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 a mantra of energized people, you know, for energized brands. Like I do think again, it's redefining that definition of what might give somebody energy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, people give me energy. Um, maybe that's not the case with somebody else, but boy, when we get together from our diverse set of backgrounds and approaches, I think we, I, I think it's in service of greater work. Right, right. Um, is there anything, we, as we're just touching on this whole hiring process and the interview process, um, is there anything else that you look for or questions you like to ask as mm -hmm. like a, a tip? Because I think, I think it's something that, that um, we've worked hard to try to create just enough structure to the interview process so that people don't get the same question over and over yeah. or that, especially for people who are earlier on in their career, that they, they understand what a meaningful interview is. I mean, you don't, it's, you know, you sort of have to learn that skill. So are there any tips you would want to give people that you've kind of learned along the way that might help someone just up their game on how to do interviews and, and ask thoughtful questions? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I do love, it to be a conversation. I mean, that's kind of the culture, you know, that we are as BBDOers. But, um, but I do, I, I love that you asked that because just before we jumped on this interview, which we're calling an interview, you said, listen, don't worry about it. If there's anything that you wish you had, hadn't said one way, or maybe there's something else you would like to say, you know, you can take a moment and, and listen to it and we can always re-record or we can always, you know, edit something out. And um, I like to take that same approach because I think that it kind of tells you everything you need to know about somebody because you can have a you can have a conversation, whether it be perfect and fluid and full of chemistry or not. Um, but at the very end, 
I do like to sort of shine that light on them and go, look, you know, thanks so much for this conversation. You know, when you walk out the door, if there's anything that you would say, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I had made this point, or I wish she really understood X about me, like what might that be? And it just gives them time to pause and reflect on the entirety of our conversation and kind of who they think they've projected themselves as. And um, it kind of gives them that last, like that last word. Like if there's any, if there's one thing you need to know about me, it's this, you know? Mm. And I feel like mm. from that question, I always get the most about somebody. That's really interesting. So that's kind of, it's like, it's your last question. It's kind of almost like a get out of jail free. Like you just kind of give them a moment to pause and you purposely slow it down so that they have the space to think and to kind of respond with something that might have, they might have, yeah. they might already, especially if you're, you know, you're young, you haven't done a ton of interviews. Yeah. They're probably in their heads already thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't said that that way. Totally. Like that came out wrong or whatever. And I think it's also a moment, and I think this is kind of in, in mutuality, which is very much our culture. I think it's a moment where, you allow them to drive the conversation versus interviews can somehow be really driven. We drive the narrative. We drive the questions we want to ask. And a lot of times it's that moment where it's like, is there anything that I like I didn't touch on that you're like, wait, lady, <laughs> I want you to know this about me, you know? And so it's kind of that moment that they have to say, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm driving it and this is what I'm going to make of it. I love that. That's that's a that's a great insight and a great question. Okay, let's let's move on to sort of career path and decisions. And one of the things that we've touched on in these in these conversations has been interesting moments in your career where there were, you know, two doors or three doors and you chose one and it either didn't work out the way you wanted to, but maybe it led to something different, or maybe you clearly made the wrong choice you know, in hindsight, but at the time it was the choice you made or any interesting sort of stories about that journey. Um, you know, uh, I, I, one of the first ones that we did was with Scylla and she told this, you know, this wonderful story about, uh, about sort of getting rejected from BBDO again and again. And she kept coming back. It's, it was right. so interesting for someone who, you know, when I came to BBDO, she was iconic and she's only, you know, grown in stature. Sure. Sure. And um, so the thought that, uh, that, that she had to, to work that hard to, to get in the door is kind of, is always inspiring to me. Well, I, I agree with that. Um, and I think that probably, maybe, maybe this isn't the smartest, maybe it's the smartest thing, but the hardest thing has been the journey. Um, because I, I agree that you asked me earlier, like, well, what did that mean? You just call them? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I just was in a, I'm not going to take no for any, like, I'm just going to do whatever it takes. You know, I'm going to find a way to work at the places that I respect and inspire me because I know in my, deep down in my heart, like, I want to be at places that creative is at the core of, of what is driving the organization. And if that's at the core of what's driving me, then I'm just not going to take no for an answer. And so I don't know that it, I mean, I'd like to think it's the smartest thing, <laughs> you know, it's the smartest way. 
Um, but there, you know, it was certainly hard along the way. Like, was it easy to move to Richmond, Virginia, where I knew absolutely nobody um, and start a life? Like, no. And I actually don't even know whether I would do that again. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think that, you know, I did make a lot of compromises along the way, but I think that I was filled with you know, passion and inspiration for the moments where I got a yes and what that might, who I might meet, what experience it might bring and what door it might open. So, you know, I think for me, you know, it's just, it's in, it's in the journey. Um, mm-hmm. Well, your persistence, I mean, the confidence, I guess, to say I belong in that room is, is a, a follow-up thought that I'd like to kind of get. Yeah your 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 thoughts on because you saying i was not going to take no for an answer the unwritten like in parentheses is i belong in that agency i belong in that room i can do that work so what gave you that confidence i guess or what gave you that ability to to say look i can you know i might be playing playing already in the major leagues but i can play for the yankees yeah right right i um I may, maybe it's twofold, but I think I sometimes wonder what, like, why, what, why did I set out on this? Like, I have so much, like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, you know, knock down every barrier in front of me to make this happen. I do have moments like out of body experiences where I'm like, how did I wake up and decide that like, that was what I was going to be, you know, because it's not, this isn't an easy path. This is a hard path. So like, why did I do that? Why was I wired that way? And, um, and I, I do think that I, maybe this is, maybe there would be a therapist that would be able to tell you better (laughs) the answer. But I do think that I felt like I had something to prove and I wanted, you know, whether it was the female in me that wanted to, you know, make a mark, um, you know, coming from a mother who is very Scottish and very much a feminist. And I, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, was it a part of my background, you know, in a a certain Southern way that just didn't sit well with me that I was like, you know, I'm just, I just feel like I want to do something different um, in this world. And so, you know, I hope, you know, while I'm still on my journey, I I hope that, um, you know, that, that it's meant something, you know, to, to Mm. certainly to me, but to others as well. Were you, were you always like that? Like as a, as a kid, were you the, were you the, you know, the kid who went to the, the older kids on the schoolyard and said like, I'm going to play ball with you type of thing, what, whatever the example might be. But like, was that always in you? I imagine you didn't just suddenly become that way when you got into advertising. I think what was always in me, no, it's a good question. I think what was always in me was a, I don't really know that I need to play by the rules that have been given to me. Mm. And I remember distinctly this moment in first grade, which I know we don't have very many memories from, you know, back in first grade, but I remember this one very well because I obviously got in trouble. But there was a moment where we were allowed to go outside of the classroom, I guess out, out, maybe it was outside, 
And, you know, those old school timers and the teacher would set it for call it 10 minutes. You, Leanne, get 10 minutes outside of the classroom to play here. And well, I wanted it to be more than 10 minutes. And so I just distinctly remember being like, well, I have the timer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so I change it. Like, gonna, I will be here for longer than that, you know, because so I stretch it to 12 minutes. Yeah, this is the thing that I want to do. So I'm just going to change the course the way I want it to be changed. And so I, um, you know, I don't even know what made me think of that, but I, I it was really your question. Um, yeah, I think I think there was a lot of that in me from from day one. I love that. There's something something in that from the beginning that that that's going to be the title of your uh, your your memoir when you write it is like I have the freaking timer. <laughs> it's up to me. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. But it's kind of like you choose. You know, you make your own journey. You know, you make your own destiny. It is a little yeah. bit of that. So yeah. So well, yeah. I mean, it was amount of. There's a certain amount of precociousness in saying, like, I've got control here, which at a young age you were getting in touch with and getting getting uh, familiar with. And, and then you channeled it into your career. Yeah. And then maybe too familiar with. If you ask my, <laughs> <laughs> and then if you ask my husband, he might put freak on the end of that control freak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, OK, well, we can go into that later, perhaps. <laughs> Um, I want to touch on culture. Yeah. So, you know, there's something about the BBDO culture, the values, no matter where you go in the world, you know, so many, so many, you know, 200 plus offices. And there are so many things that, that are, make it similar, but there's also offices that are, that, you know, have their own very distinct flavor. So as managing director and now someone who's been at that energy for a while, what do you feel like you create what do you what do you do to to make an environment where people are excited about working there could be big small you know a vibe a, a a specific type of meeting anything that comes to mind that if someone said you know why is it such a great place to work here mm -hmm. you know it's it's specifically because of the mechanisms and the and the and the the procedures in some ways and the and the communication that comes from the leadership right so I'm just, I, I would love to get your thoughts on what you've seen, what you've observed, but also what you want to add now as managing director. Yeah. Um, it's a big, it's a big question. Um, and I, I do think that I'm very grounded in what makes our culture so special, which is the people, right? Like ultimately it's the people that you work with day in, day yeah. out. I mean, because we, and a lot of a lot of times we go to army, you know, we go to war together, you know, we're in battles together. And, you know, there's, there's moments where I simply couldn't make it through without the people, you know, by my side. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, never has that been more tested than this year, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, in creating a culture that people want to work in and work at. Um, I, I believe in really fostering connections with people. Um, and you know that because I already said that I was an extrovert, but I think that, you know, it's, there are, there are moments that I really love that maybe aren't so office specific, maybe aren't so meeting specific, 
Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that B BBDO does well, and I, I know I consciously do this, is I love to actually get out of the office, you know, and I love to be with people in environments that, again, we might get slightly different energy from, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a moment where sometimes we can feel like, wow, we just, you know, went to war over creating an ad because it's like, it can be so hard, you know, but you can get outside of that and sort of deepen relationships. And sometimes ideas are born. Um, people can be really honest and really transparent and in a lot of ways add value, you know, to understanding where, where any one person or other individuals at the agency are coming from. So, um, you know, I know I get my energy from people. Um, so I, I, want to continue to foster an environment that we're people first, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that to me is what gets me excited about, you know, coming, mm -hmm. coming to work. And what about, in, what about in COVID times where, you know, like um, the, the team here, we've talked a lot about the fact that now that we're nine months into this thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's almost like we're, we're breathing the fumes of our culture that we created over many, many years. And at some point, do those fumes run out? It's so hard to create culture when you're in a Zoom world. Have you seen that? Is it, or, or do you feel like, um, like I don't know, maybe there, there are, are ways that, that you can have a, a culture where people only interact on screens and is it, is it just as strong? Well, this is my personal, you know, this is personally how I Oh, feel. you're not speaking for the whole company, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I have approval yet to do that. But <laughs> I do like changing the timer. So you never know. Um, I, 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 yeah, I think we're, I think we're at the end of that. Um, I, you know, I think it's our strong culture that's given us the success we've had this year. Um, but I do think at some point, you know, as people, you know, can come and go, um, I think we have the duty to to find ways to be back together again. And um, I, I think it's going to be hugely important for, you know, again, as we sort of started, it's a it's a we're a creative ideas business and we are a people oriented business. And I think the ability to be together to do those things is is critical. So. Yeah. I, I think that what that might look like, you know, could change. Like, I, yeah. I think we absolutely have to come back together and we need our office back and we need our place to collaborate and do our thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was struck by a conversation I had um, with somebody in a lot of these sort of discussions about how you're doing and just checking in and what have you. And um, it was a creative director. And so I, I sort of felt like, of all disciplines, it's gotta be the creative that wants to be like with their partner and with teams and rolling up sleeves and really iterating. So I thought I'd hear much more from this individual that, gosh, I just can't wait to get back into the office. And um, what he said to me was, you know, I just, I used to get my energy from, I used to think that the creative energy existed in the office and that coming to the office was that sort of the only place by which the creative juices were going to flow. But right. what this year has taught me is that, you know, there are so many things 
and so many other places where I can get my energy from. So I think also fostering that culture and that environment that, you know, it, to get to great ideas doesn't mean you absolutely have to be sitting in an office room with a, you know, a specific yeah. team. So, um, I, you know, I hope we find the right balance. Um, I hope we have flexibility, flexibility built into it. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, we're going to need each other and we're going to need each other in person. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. I, th- I, th- I think there will be a, a broader spectrum of acceptability. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of feel like it used to be you needed an, you needed an excuse not to be in the office. Mm-hmm. And thanks to COVID, now you need an excuse to be in the office. Right. And when this is all over, there's going to be somewhere in the middle where it's like there's a, there's a range and a flexibility to there are people and roles, more importantly, where it's just more productive to be there more often than not. Yeah. doesn't mean you have to be there all the time. And then there's other roles where it probably doesn't matter at all. You could be in Timbuktu and it, it wouldn't really affect your, your productivity. So um, it, it is, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be, you know, no surprise, a whole new world we're going to figure out. But, um, but I, I, like you, I miss the, uh, you know, 20 people jammed into a conference room that's not big enough with ideas being thrown up on the wall and people, you know, mm-hmm. writing on the whiteboard and just that, that whole jam session is just so much fun. Um, okay, let's move to, uh, I wanted to just touch on w- the work. You know, obviously BBO is all about the work. We all know that. For you, you've been involved in a lot of great work over the years. Is there one or two examples of work you're especially proud of? For And it could be for any reason. It could be because it was a really hard brief and maybe it's not the most famous work you've been involved in or it could be because it was something that the world responded to, but just something that you're really proud of. Yeah. Um, so I, I would be remiss not to mention give extra, get extra, I believe. Um, but the campaign for Wrigley gum, um, give extra, get extra that, uh, was, I think incredibly amazing for its time because we had been living in a world where, you know, gum was just about, you know, fundamental reasons to chew, like, clean mouth and fresh breath and weight loss or whatever it might've been. Um, and so I think to really change, to really flip the script and start getting more sort of emotional resonance for, you know, how gum can be a connector of people um, was I think a brilliant insight um, in this idea that, you know, unless you're an asshole, like if you have a pack of gum, like you're typically going to share it with the person that is next to you. And I think that there is always just that little moment of like, Oh, I see you kind of, you know, and, and whether it develops into a romantic relationship for, you know, these two individuals for the long term, yet to be seen. However, I think that just the, the insight of that um, and what, it did for the gum category mm-hmm. and the awards we won and how people responded mm-hmm. and still the gift that keeps on giving in terms of mm-hmm. FEs and sustained success. So, you know, I am, I am really proud of that um, work. I think that what's probably touched me much more deeply is the work that I did on AT&T, um, It Can Wait campaign. 
Um, mm -hmm. So it was just anti-texting while driving. And mm -hmm. um, at the time that I was working on AT&T, you know, it, it was actually like, I just remember the meeting. It was crazy to think that we would recommend that the very thing that they make money on is the very thing that we're going to tell them, we're going to tell people to stop doing. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we pulled all this, we'll drink responsibly work and this is our moment and we can be leaders in the category. And I, I remember right. the meeting incredibly well. Mm. Um, at the time it was Troy Ruhannon was around and, you know, he was at the helm of it all. And it was just like, wow, this is happening. This is like where, where like, again, what I was saying earlier, like when you start to shape culture and you start to shape, you know, um, new ways of thinking and different ways of thinking and doing the right thing can happen. Right. And to be a part of that, and then it, um, it turn into some of the most brilliant work and the ability to work with Werner Herzog to do the documentary. And um, it just was, it was so rewarding. And I think more than anything, it was just that Yes, it was brilliant, creative. Yes, we were doing the right thing. Um, but I think what we were really doing was trying to save lives. And I know that sounds really heavy, but ultimately there's nothing more rewarding than doing yeah. something that's greater than selling a product. Right. Um, and so I think from that, I have always raised my hand at pro bono opportunities, you know, because I think it's so nice to have a different challenge, you know, in front of you than your usual day to day and a higher purpose and giving back. Um, and, uh, you know, so mm. that was probably the one that has, mm. has touched me the most for sure. Mm. Well, I just want to pause for a second and point out for anyone who might be listening to this, who's a young person in our business, if you wonder what it takes to become successful in this industry, all you have to do is listen to that answer. Like the passion that you have for the insight, whether it's on a piece of gum, the insight of, you know, hey, here's, here's a way we can change the whole category by just realizing that people are willing to share a stick of gum because it doesn't cost much. And, you know, it's easy to share with someone who you don't know or who you do know. And we can turn that into a business changing idea and then on the other end of the spectrum, changing culture with the AT&T, it can wait, don't text while driving. And even the passion that you have around working with specific, you know, talent and crafting the idea. I think that's the spectrum that makes people, you know, really successful in, in our industry. If you, if you can get as excited as you just got from insight to execution, you know, it's just a matter of, of uh, getting the right opportunities in front of you. Okay, so because you said that, and you may never use this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The insight that came of it can wait. I, I have to tell the story because it it was like such a moment in my career. So we had crafted all of these different idea statements to go to do qualitative research. So we're doing focus groups. And the most obvious place to go with anti-texting while driving is 
well what could happen, you know, and, and really highlighting just tragic accidents or tragic things that have happened to individuals and what have you. And so we had all these different idea statements around that, right, just brought to life in different ways. And it was a bunch of young people sitting around the table and it was just disastrous, like nothing was really interesting to them. Right. It's kind of like telling them, um, you know, it's kind of like telling them smoking kills. They're like, I'm like 18. I don't I don't care. So it was just like, oh, one of those moments where we're like, oh, my God, this is where are we going to uh, go from here? Crashing and burning, crashing and burning. And um, the the moderator says, OK, like puts everything on is like, OK, pull out your pull out your friends. And of course, they all do like they pull out friends. It's like, can you just read me some of your last texts? And they're all like, see ya. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Cool, bruh. <laughs> BRB and like, uh, you know, LOL. Like just the most insignificant right. responses. Um, and, uh, and that was where the idea was born. That mm. there's just that what people are texting are so insignificant that it can wait. So anyways, that's That's, what happened. It happened right there in the, in the, in the focus, in the focus study. Mm, That's a great story. That's a great story. And, and is there any moment in, in particular with the extra campaign? I know that the, there was a lot of great work done, but I think the Sarah and Juan ad, you know, for me personally, you know, it still like brings tears to my eyes and I show, I show it all the time because I talk to students all the time. And so I'll share it. And it's just amazing. No matter how many people see it, the emotion that comes of it. And I wonder, did you know it was going to be that successful from the moment you saw it? Meaning as I think it's always really interesting. We talk about ideas. And so now with the, the benefit of hindsight, can you think back to the moment you saw that as a script or as somebody told you as a quick idea that you thought, is that really going to be like the most shared ad on YouTube that year? Or, you know, or, or did you not see it coming? The thing that I think was most misunderstood about this campaign was that it was a brilliant piece of film that made everybody cry. And that was never the intention, the intention and what I believe to be the most brilliant part of the idea was that we were simply starting with the pack and trying to get individuals who were chewing our gum to tell us some of their most meaningful stories, right? The things that mattered to them most, the connections that they've made over, over time, or maybe even with this, this pack of gum. And all you had to do was just hashtag give extra, get extra with a picture of that moment. And we would have illustrators illustrate that moment and send it right back to you. Um, and so the piece of film was just almost a demonstration of how that idea could come to life, right? Because he's obviously illustrating these beautiful moments that they've shared in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. But the day we presented the idea was so, to, to, the, to the client at the time, was so amazing because what we did, and this, this will tell a lot about, um, about, presentation of ideas and and meeting theater. 
Um, but what we did was we had a pack of gum for him and it was already mocked up in um, this idea of sharing moments. We had already illustrated, we had taken a picture of him and his family off of Facebook and we had already illustrated this beautiful moment for him and his family. And so we showed him how exactly that was gonna work as the consumer. And when we handed him his illustration, he started crying. Uh, and uh, you know, it was just this moment of like, I can't believe that this idea can really reach into the heart and soul of an individual and really move people. And at the time, we were, you know, the 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 most important thing that we were trying to do was infuse meaning into the brand, right? That was the objective. And so we mm -hmm. just demonstrated that with him. Mm -hmm. From there, the, you know, the content was built and yes, we had shared it in the room as well. And it was emotional, but never did I dream that that would be the thing that everybody would talk about. That's such a great story. I love it. I love that. Wow. What a, what a, uh, a great piece of theater too, to sell an idea, to go back to that, um, yeah. you know, to, to the person's, you know, personal stories and like get a picture it's just so great it's so great I always thought that 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 insight had to have come from a famous scene in a movie um one flew over the cuckoo's nest which was juicy fruit which is another Wrigley brand obviously um and I haven't seen that movie in many years so someone can keep me honest on this I wish we had a fact checker but there's a scene where um where Jack Nicholson his kind of partner in crime is this guy chief who doesn't speak Right. And there's a scene where he hands him a piece of gum. And the only thing he says is, ah, juicy fruit. <laughs> that, I mean, maybe subconsciously. Maybe, maybe. 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 Um, um, amazing. Anyway. I've never heard anybody bring that up. I oh, love really? It. Well, then it must not have come from there. I, I, <laughs> I would have imagined it would have been in the, uh, in the brand film or something. Okay, well, so there's a couple other things I want to make sure we have some uh, time to kind of touch on. And then, you know, and then I want to give you the opportunity to say anything because I've, I've now learned this great, great new question to add Look to an interview. You. But I, I want to just touch on the, the, the topic of culture as it relates to, to DE&I. And obviously this year, 2020 will be remembered for so many big changes, but I think one of them is the year that, that the business world and to some degree the world Mm -hmm. has woken up to what it means to be anti-racist and what it means to create environments that are more than, than, you know, than just diverse, mm -hmm. but are truly equitable. And I wonder if, if you have any stories that you would want to share or anything that you've tried to bring to, to the culture at energy that has helped create the space for that to happen. Because I think it's something that a lot of people are trying to figure out and it could really, it could really help anyone who's listening if, if there's, you know, if you sort of wrestled with it and, and came up with something that feels like it's, it's helping. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that the, the mantra that, and I call it that just because I feel like I've heard it a few times. And so maybe it's just that I've heard it a few times. Um, and now I'm using it is that we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really believe so deeply in that because I am wired as we've sort of talked about that give me a destination and I'll, I'll find the solution to get there. And 
this is another one of those moments where I've had to take a step back and go, yeah, this, that's not how this is going to work. <laughs> you know, this is not going to be like a Leanne, let me just, this, you know, let me hardwire a situation and, and try to find a solution and just tackle the problem. Right. Right. So I, um, I, I think a lot of us are going through, you know, this journey of, of learning and listening and understanding in a way that, you know, I could have never imagined. And I don't, I still have such healthy paranoia about it because like, I just don't, I, I worry it's, we're never, it's never going to be enough, you know, as much as we try, but maybe one of the things that um, has come to light for me is that I think early on in this year um, or earlier in this year, much after George Floyd and um, conversations were coming, these conversations were coming to light. I think it was interesting that we started to build these frameworks for how might we how, how might we operate? How might we do better? You know, give us these measurable, you know, ways in which we can, you know, say like, yes, we've made a change to, you know, our diversity allocations from a talent standpoint, or yes, we've made um, a percent allocation increase in the, the, the companies that we hire that are run by, you know, diverse individuals, or yes, we have percentage allocations from a casting perspective. These seem to be like hard sort of measurable, like we could pull out our Excel chart and start figuring out like how we move from X to Y, you know? And I think what has happened and, and keep in mind, we have been working um, at Energy BBDO this year on, on, on Ben's original. Um, and so the move from Uncle Ben's, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, has been highly offensive to many for many years to Ben's original. so. It's been, um, it's opened my eyes to a lot of conversations, you know, with a mm-hmm. lot of individuals. And I think that, you know, moving more deeply into how we work and how we come together and how the ideas are created and who's a part of developing those ideas and when do, when do they get checked and who are the individuals that check them and how does everybody feel about them and how do we pull different diverse individuals into every brief to develop the work? I just, I, it, it is something that I just, you know, am, am so conscious of making sure when we talk about learning and we talk about understanding, when we talk about this journey that, you know, we're not, we're, we're, we can't, we're not checking boxes on paper. It's like, we're fundamentally going to have to change how we, how we think and how we work because the creative that we're putting into the world is the thing that is going to help move and progress culture um, and humanity at large. So that's the piece that I really am going to be working through um, and we're all working through. Um, so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that thoughtful uh, analysis is so true. It's, it's just so much more complicated than a, than a spreadsheet, isn't it? Um, um, okay, so the, uh, the next thing I really wanted to ask you about is leadership, leadership style. I feel like one of the things that, you know, maybe some, some great leaders are born, but I think a lot of great leaders learn 
along the way from people they admire, leaders they admire. You could steal it from a book. You could steal it from your boss. But are there things that you would, that you've consciously said like, oh, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to steal that because that's really good that you've learned along the way that you would share for, you know, the younger people out there who are moving up in their careers and trying to go from maybe supervising a person to two people or whatever the progression might be where you think, you know, well, here's a tip or a trick that, that could help you. Um, okay. Your question makes me think of a story. <laughs> so I'm just going to dive into this story. Um, and, and I, and I think there's a trick in there somewhere. Um, but I had mentioned earlier when we were speaking about my journey that, um, you know, Kirsten Flanick had hired me to work um, on British Airways at BBH. And we were working on the rebranding of British Airways. And we were having this big meeting to present, you know, this, all of our different ideas. And we, we drove out to, to Queens and we we're meeting with the CMO or whatever. And we're having this meeting and it very quickly turns to a very bad meeting, like just total disaster. And the client was just really um, unbecoming in her delivery of how she felt about the ideas and what we didn't do or how we didn't listen. And just was like, everything was just destroyed. And I will never forget this. And I don't think I've told her this, but um, she put her hand on the table and it was just this like move that was like, let me jump in here and, and shut you down. She put her hand on the table and she said calmly, Amy, that was her name. I'm sensing that you're very upset and I don't think it has anything to do with the creative work. And she was like, so I would love for us to have a conversation to get to the bottom of what is upsetting you. Right. And she shut down the meeting. We got up, we walked out. That was the end of it. Mm. But what happened from there was, you know, she and Amy were able to then sit down right. and really talk about what was, what was Amy so angry about, you know, because mm -hmm. she, Kirsten was right. She sensed that it, she was pissed off at us right. and it really didn't have anything to do with the work. And so in right. that moment, I was really, I was really taken by Kirsten's ability to a, protect the work, um, B, you know, lead from a place that was not fearful, you know, mm -hmm. and, and really be able to call the, the client out. And it just felt like, you know, it demonstrated down the road as they did go and solve what Amy was so upset about. It demonstrated that the power of relationships is right. critical for mm -hmm. the success of the work that we can then sell in and, and ultimately yeah. flourish. And so I always take that with me because whenever I'm sort of watching clients, I'm always thinking like, I'm sensing X, Y, or Z, and I'm not mm -hmm. going to be afraid to call you out on it. Mm. That's, that's a beautiful um, example. 
And it's something that I think also illuminates a key part of being in a service role, which we are, right? Like we have clients and they pay us for our opinion, which is to, to recognize that you ultimately can control the conversation if you have a relationship and a respect built up. And also, I think one of the, one of the most underrated roles of especially a business leader like Kirsten is to be the truth teller. Yeah. You know, to kind of be the one who's not afraid to tell the client that there's something else going on here. And that can be, a, that can take a lot of different shapes, right? Absolutely. But oftentimes inside of any organization, no matter how healthy the culture might be, you get this sort of echo chamber of, of um, noise or yeses or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it falls on the agency or the consulting firm, the business consulting firm. They, they play a similar role in many ways to say like, actually, here's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Actually, here's what the truth is, yeah. you know? Um, that's great. Great example. Thank you. Um, okay. So here it is after this rich conversation that you've, um, that you've made time for, which we're so grateful for, is there anything you would like to add? Um, I love that you just threw that right back on me. Well, you know, one of the brilliantly played, I mean, really, Honestly, so one of the things that has been a, 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 a true joy and surprise to me has been that through this process, the number of things I have learned and now stole, like these are already people who I've stolen a lot from, but now that I've gotten them to like really think about certain things, yeah. I've stolen more because I learn in every one of these, I'm scribbling notes. And by the end of the conversation, I've got like three things starred where I go, okay, well, that's going right into my personal notebook of how to handle mm-hmm. situations. So, um, so the one that you offered up today is a perfect example of that. A new okay. question that I will not end an interview from this day forward without asking that question. I love it. Um, so I, I think because we're, we're, we're here talking to female leaders within BBDO. Um, And because we are talking about inclusivity and how do we ensure we have a culture where everybody feels heard and, you know, this year has taken us down all kinds of um, emotional roads there. Um, I could probably tell you one story just about how I felt in my sort of the role of my gender and how it played, um, you know, in my career. And I, I do, I do think, you know, that, um, there was a time that I was a bit fearful of what being a female meant for my career trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was definitely in my head about it. And it might've been why I was like, I'm going to knock down barriers. I'm going to do what it takes. You know, I might've been why I was just persevering, Um, but I think the thing that probably I was most fearful of was becoming a mother Mm. because, you know, 10, well, 10 years ago now, you know, my biggest fear was that I had worked so hard to get to where I was and I was just on this press precipice, can I ever say that word, Mm -hmm. where I am maybe going to make a, maybe going to make a mark, you know, and, 
but I really want to have children. You know, I really want to have a family. And um, I'll never forget, um, I'll never forget, actually, I was working on AT&T at the time, but working really out of the New York office and I, I was pregnant. And I, I remember being terrified for anybody to know. I mean, terrified. And we were sitting in David Leobarz's office one night, like working on Rethink Possible as the new big brand reveal. And somebody said, did you tell him? <laughs> what? Huh? Huh? What? Like of all people, right? And in my head, I was like, well, this is it. Like, he's going to think, well, you know, it's been great. <laughs> you know, um, you know, we have just about six more months with you. And, you know, thanks for playing. And I felt so, you know, outed in that moment. I'm like, oh, my God, here it is. Here it comes. And I guess I'm going to have to tell him. And I said, I'm pregnant. And he looked at me and he said, good. And then David did his thing and congratulated me and my family. And this is so amazing, but I'll never forget what he said. And he said, you know, I say good because um, he goes, that is going to be a new passion and a new purpose in your life. And he said, and I find that working with individuals who have passion and purpose in their lives outside of advertising come in they know what they want to do they do it you know and they are incredibly successful and he said so I say to you good and congratulations and in that moment I felt so understood and so included and really at home you know mm -hmm. Um, and it just gave me the permission to like, I can do this, you know, I yeah. can be a mom and I can be um, a great leader at the same time. So, you know, I'm sure he may not even remember that conversation. Sure. Just right. really, it really an stuck with me. And I think as um, a female leader, you know, it's, it's one thing to just to be a female leader, but it's another thing to be, you know, a mom as well. And um mm -hmm. And so I'm very proud of that, but I also am very conscious of individuals, no matter what their passion or the purpose is, that they that they have one outside of what mm -hmm. we do. It only mm -hmm. makes them better at what we do. Oh, what a great story. What a great story, Leanne. Thank you. Yeah, the, it, and, and it's also actually another one of those lessons as a leader where you, you go, well, this is just how you respond in this moment is going to have a massive impact. And mm -hmm. to your point, David, who we've both worked with for a million years, probably doesn't remember that conversation. No, because know? it was so... But like, it was very important to you. So really. innate. It was so important to me because it was all in my head. They were right. my fears. Right. And, um, and he put them to bed. So, right. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of a, of, a, of a better way to wrap up this conversation. That was so beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much for not only your generosity of time, but your generosity of spirit and just sharing such personal stories and, uh, you know, insights from your career that I now am very excited to continue to watch because, you know, obviously the, the sky's the limit and you're still very much on a trajectory of growth. So thank you, Leanne. Oh, and you. Um, you. I, I uh, can't wait to, to get this, this interview out there because I know I will get a lot of emails from different corners of the globe 
as I have in the past saying, wow, thank you for, for uh, that interview. That was, that was really, really wonderful and insightful. That's awesome. Well, thank you for doing it. So hugs mm -hmm. to the family, hugs to San Francisco. Thank you.